Welcome to the Remnant by Reclaim 611 podcast. I'm Paula. And I'm Carrie. And we are happy to do this once again. We are on our third segment of our Survivor Series. And if you all have been listening, I'm sure you're like sitting at the edge of your seat waiting to hear what's next, waiting to hear what Chelsea has to share with us today. So um, welcome back, Chelsea. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yes. I'm so excited you're here. Yeah, we're glad you are here. We're glad you can make it. And um, we're glad that your story is actually able to be shared across the world. Mm -hmm. And again, hopefully to open some parents' eyes to some things that may be going on around them, open young girls' eyes to some things that they may overlook. One thing you said last week, just ask that extra question. You know, just just about asking that extra question and... um, Hopefully some things you said, not hopefully, I believe some things you said and some things you shared will definitely help um, the listeners and it will definitely help us get the word out. So we will continue with part three. We're going to just dive right in. We're not going to do an introduction. You all already know who Chelsea is, right? That's right. Especially if you're on your third segment, you already know. (laughs) You've been waiting for this to be posted, really. (laughs) Right, right, right. So we are just going to dive right on in. Um. At the end of the last segment, we started talking about how she got involved in trafficking in California, how her good friend said, hey, come on down. I have a job waiting for you. You just need some clothes. And we got this perfect setup and And a bus ticket. Yeah, bus ticket. ticket. Perfect setup. And Chelsea said um, last week, she said, if I had just asked one more question, you know, maybe things would have looked differently. But we're going to pick up from there. And we talked a little bit about the number of men you serviced from the minimum to the maximum amount in a day. But I don't think we really dug deep, like a little deep dive into the type of abuse that occurred, the type of abuse that was basically done to kind of whip you into shape and to whip you into being able to, you know, work well in that situation specifically with it being my first interaction with like when I was of age and me being forced into it there's so many different types of I guess predators as you would say whether it be traffickers pimps like just within traffickers and pimps alone they have what you call a Romeo and that is the one that will Introduce himself, sweet, talk his way into your life, gain your trust to some extent, to an extent of you believing you're in a relationship, that that's what it is. Like, that, there's nothing more to it, nothing less. Like, you all are with each other because that's what you both want. But really, of course, that is just until he gets you comfortable enough to where he can say, you know what, babe, we need a little bit of money. Like, do this one thing for me real quick, and we can go shopping. We can do this. And... More so, that's when they use the manipulation, the guilt, the shame, all of that kind of stuff. Or that can be led straight into drugs, too. It could be just, hey, let's get high and have fun, and it just be you off for a while, but then eventually it leads to that. Or they have what they call, they have different terms for them, but there's Romeos and there is, I can't think of the correct name, the ones that are just forceful abuse, mm-hmm. that, like it's straight physical. There's no gateway of let's make an introduction, let's gain trust, let's get to know each other on any level. It's, hey, you know what, now you're in my 
my presence and my possession and this is what you are going to do. Like, there's no choice to that. And that's what that situation was with me. I fought every day that I was there, which thank God I wasn't there that long. Mm-hmm. Um, there was never a time that I serviced any man in California that I wasn't completely beat up. That I wasn't, I mean, I looked like I had been jumped and thrown into a room. And most of the time, I was tied up along with that. So you walk into a room, a man paying another man to do what he wants with a woman, and he walks into a room and sees a woman that is tied up on a bed or tied to a pole or whatever and beaten bloody. And the fact that they can still look at you and do what they came to do. And... But my point was, they have different stages. So I, with him, I was never compliant. There was never any trust. There was never any of that. It was always just strictly physical abuse and verbal, of course. But it was all physical with that. But later, once I actually escaped and came back to my hometown, um, that's when I ran into my trafficker that is what you refer to as a Romeo. That was, he was my boyfriend at first. So the first pimp, the one when you met when you first got to California, that's kind of, that was the strictly abuse. Yes. Um, not like that. There was, because there was no relationship kind of for that Romeo sequence. So that is, as you're describing, just complete physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, all of the abuses. Yes. And, and then, a second trafficker that you had once I came back home. Once you came back home, okay. I think we're gonna get to like how yeah. how yeah. you got. I back didn't want to jump. No, yeah. no, you're good. <laughs> you're, you're, you're good. good. You're good. So, how long did you stay in California, and what did your drug use look like in California? In California, I was very restricted on anything I could do. At that point, I went out there. I like I said before, I left. I was into pills, really heavy. And I had taken enough with me to get me through the ride there because I was assured that once I got there, we could get a hold of whatever. But like I said, I wasn't even allowed to smoke cigarettes. So we smoked weed when he allowed us. And that was it. Oh. So I was forced to go through withdrawals from pills when I first got there. Wow. So... Not your typical drug use to right. get through, you know, all of the Yeah, he services. was very adamant on he wasn't that pimp that his girls were all strung out. He had women that were healthy to a certain extent that weren't complete strung out junkies. Wow. So when you were in California, were you a bottom bitch? No. It was me and his bottom bitch. Okay. And that recruited you from, yes. from the gotcha. yeah. And it was, some girls came and went in between the time that I was there, but for the most part, it was just me and her. You know, when we talk about the definition of human trafficking, or what defines human trafficking, we talk about three elements, that force, fraud, and coercion, which, if you can just tell by your story, all these three things are there. And a lot of times, um, there's because of so much control, um, a lot of victims don't have any decision or choice if they want to leave, if they want to come and go as they please, if they need access to health care or anything like that. Was that 
your experience or did you have any type of freedom to do anything that you wanted to do or needed to do? No, along with how she recruited me to get come out there in the first place, I was also told in beliefs of everything she said that for my employment at a regular job, I needed to bring my ID, my birth certificate, and my social security card. And I brought all three. And that, of course, was one of the very first things that was taken from me. And so that was, I mean, once I finally got out, I was getting notifications from T-Mobile, all different types of businesses saying accounts were being opened in my name. Like My credit was ruined. Wow. Wow. So that's a lot. How long did you stay in California? And if your mind, because I know you told us that some things aren't as, you can't remember as much because of the association but how long were you in california and how did you leave california well the reason of course kind of backtracking why i wouldn't have never been able to even be a candidate to become his bottom bitch because i fought every day he knew that there was going to be no amount of trust that would be able to be gained between us to where he could trust me to leave me any of that so he knew that this oh sorry that the second i got a chance i was leaving and he left me and her in a hotel room one night. I was there for, I think, right under a month, probably about three and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I had He left us in a room, and he had left a phone with her. And I had gained her trust enough because we'd been through certain abuse together. So it's more of a trauma bond because I didn't trust her. Of course, everything in me hated her for what she brought me into knowingly. Mm-hmm. But... We, like I said, a trauma bond is something that really can't be explained. Like other people that, it's just, you can have experts in certain fields that know everything about a situation, but they can't relate to you on the same level as someone that's been through the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So regardless of how mad I was at her, we were still close. But I gained her trust enough that I was able to use the phone. I called my ma and I told her everything. I told her everything that was happening I was in a very bad part of town where he left us. Um, She was like, she called my uncle. She was like, if you girls can get out of there, I will buy your bus ticket right now, get to the bus station, and you all can stay in your uncle's basement, and we'll take care of it from there. And I told her, and she was like, yeah, yeah, I want to go. Or no, she was like, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay. And then she found out, she said she found out that he – had abused me sexually and in her mind as the bottom bitch she thought they were in a relationship Mm. so she felt very betrayed she was like I'm gonna leave I'm gonna I was like then come with me like that's fine come with me but I mean as extensive as her trauma was with him and their relationship she ended up staying and I told her I was like I have to go like I wish the best for you but you have a clear way out right now if you don't want to come then I'm leaving and I did I ran out of the hotel. It was like 2 in the morning. I'm in the middle of Inglewood, and I'm walking under these bypasses. I'm on the phone with my mom, and I'm in a mini skirt with some sandals (laughs) and a tank top. And my mom was like, you've got to find a police officer. So one passes me. I'm walking this way, and they go this way. And I take off running. And they stopped and put it in reverse just because they thought I was a streetwalker. They thought I was working. So... 
I was like, I just need directions to the Greyhound station. And they said, we're, we can't take you right now. We don't have any units that can take you. They said, and we're not going to give you directions to walk. They said, because you will not make it there. They said, it's late, you're white, you're female. He said, you won't make it there. You will get picked up. He said, so I'm not going to tell you how to get there. And I broke down. I was like, you, I mean, I have to. He talked to, which was crazy, a convenience store owner, a foreigner. And the guy agreed to let me sit there until one of their officers got off to come get me at the end of their shift. And they would take me to the uh, bus station. Well, the guy, he was really nice. He gave me cigarettes, whatever I needed. But as time came closer for him to get off, he was like, well, I mean, he was foreign. He didn't speak much English. But what he kept repeating was, if they're not here when I leave, then I'm taking you. Mm. And I, it was pure panic that set in. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I'm never going to get out of here. But luckily, like a time a cop pulled in, they took me to the station, and I was able to get home. Wow. Yeah. I'm just, like, processing this picture of you leaving, like, just taking off from a hotel and just and I like had running nothing. for your life. Literally. I mean, that's yeah. exactly <laughs> what you're doing. Yeah. And then a cop is your first encounter. Um, and they knew so well the environment that knew that you wouldn't even make it there. Yeah. Wow. That is a bad part of town. I was, yeah, it's a very, very bad part. You talked about, um, you mentioned trauma bond, which definitely, you know, and you you did explain it, um, that from your perspective, it's hard to even explain. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like I said, and just in the specific area of trafficking, there's people that, have experience of speaking with survivors that have worked with survivors that have helped get girls out of the situation that have helped lock up pimps that know everything about know all the terms know every step of trauma everything about it but they've never experienced it Mm -hmm. so like when I got help I can relate and I can open up to someone that knows everything about what I've been through but only to a certain extent when I run into another female that has been through similar things, they don't have to know anything else about my life. They don't have to know anything else about trafficking or the depths of it or how it affects people, anything. It's the fact that we can relate on such a personal level of, I know what pain you've been through. I may not have been through what exactly you've been through, but I know that the pain, the loneliness, the shame, the guilt, everything that rides with it. And it's just a bond that brings you so much closer to someone, whether you know them, anything else about them or not. That's really powerful. Yeah. That's why I wanted to go back to that for a second. I just think it's true. Like, I'm kind of processing it because we speak about trauma bonds, like, even when we educate. Um, But, yeah, I I couldn't – we talk about it in this terminology, but – for as somebody who's been through it to know that like the only person you could ever relate to it, not even have to talk about it or explain it to is somebody else who's been through it, which makes complete sense. But I just think it's so powerful the way you described that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, It's pretty awesome. And so now we are at the bus station. Yeah. We're at the bus station and we're headed back to Kentucky. Headed back to Kentucky. (laughs) Did you have any encounters um, on your bus trip, like 
from California to Kentucky, or you made it there safely with no I mean, issues? Or I mean, anything? I made it safely. Okay. Um, there was, of course, guys that were on two days of the trip that wanted to sit with me and tried to talk me into just getting off with them, and they would provide for me, all that kind of whatever. So that was I was just at a point that I was so beaten physically that I was like, the fact that you're even trying to talk to me right now, like, right. it was I was just so out, spaced out mentally. I think it's good that even though you don't realize, you had the, enough sense to say, if you're trying to talk to me and I look like this, yeah. evidently your motives aren't right. Right. Your, your motives aren't right. So you still had this protective part of you that um, allowed you to to make the, the best decision to get home safely um, versus, you know, somebody who had been beaten up and is like, well, nobody wants me, so, yeah, let me, you know. Yeah. Yeah, mine well, was I knew you. that I had just barely escaped with my life mm-hmm. and that I was, like I said, so spaced out in my head that I was in complete survivor mode. Mm-hmm. The, like, don't talk to me. if And I knew I was on a public bus. If anybody tried anything, I mean, I, all I had to do was be loud and it would help. Mm-hmm. But I was just in such survivor mode that my, my walls were up all the way around. I got home, and my mom and my sister picked me up from the bus station. I mean, I got home, I fell apart. My sister is a grown woman, and me being 18, her 18 months older than me, I mean, held me as I fell apart, and she bathed me. I couldn't get in the shower. I couldn't do anything. Like, I fell apart. But that was something that made us so much closer, too. I mean, she cussed me out (laughs) up and down when I first left. She's like, you don't know how much you hurt mom. And I felt guilt about that. But I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm going out here to better myself. Like, I'm going to make money to where I can help mom get in the house, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But it went completely opposite. And no matter what the harsh words were said between us at that point, in that moment, none of that mattered. Mm -hmm. That was just, she knew how serious it was. Yeah. So it was just like a relief. To finally be home. <laughs> wow. So now you get home, and if you can think back, did you have any plans once you made it home? Did, what, to what get kind as of high plans? as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was the only thing that I knew that I missed that felt made me feel good even before this happened that I enjoyed doing because, of course, I was abusing it. But I knew that... I've been through abuse before in the past, and I knew that it took me a long time to get over it. I would try, it being the first experience of abuse as a child, I went through a bunch of different coping mechanisms to see which one fit me. Mm -hmm. I went through cutting, fighting, all of that. But I knew that this time, drugs was my answer. Mm -hmm. I knew that that would give me the head change that I needed to not be in my reality and what was going on because it was too much to process for me. So that was my one and only intention, and that's exactly what happened. Wow. Okay. Now, I can imagine coming out of an abusive situation like that. and I I mean, I can't imagine, but if... um, and knowing that drugs was the one thing that was going to take the edge off, that you, that was going to uh, the ability to even cope. Because at this point, you're not your family knows, and that's it. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to. I'm assuming there's like you want to forget it ever happened. Yeah. 
Like, um, they didn't force me to go into details or any of that. It was an unspoken agreement. Like, they could see me in what state was I was enough. in, and that was it. It was enough. And they just embraced you yeah. and where you were at, and and then and your agenda was to get high. Absolutely. Like, that is what I want to do. Um, just as a side question, did you ever feel, like, it was ever difficult to feel safe, even in your own home, after this abusive situation? Or did you get home and you were just like, I'm in a safe place and finally a sense of relief to I some degree? I lost a sense of feeling safe when I was a child. Mm. When I was betrayed by a man that helped bring me into this world, I knew that when I was with my ma, she was my safe space, mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally. Mm-hmm. But I knew that at any minute, if he decided to come over there and do whatever, he was stronger than hers, that he could overpower any of us. Mm-hmm. So that, from a very young age, I stated a very heightened sense of being on guard. Mm-hmm. That made me a very anxious child. And the sense of safety was out totally of the window shot. since then. But I knew that I was in a place where the people I was around then weren't going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. So... That is what I held on to. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So now you're back home, and you made this, uh, I don't want to say promise, but you made a statement in your head, I'll never do that. Yeah. I'll, I'll never be the woman who creates, who recruits other women mm-hmm. in, into this type of life. You started talking a little bit in the beginning about uh, Romeo, so tell us a little bit about Romeo in Kentucky. That was, he is the one and only one of my traffickers that has been successfully locked up and charged with those crimes. Mm. Um, unfortunately, it was only because after I got out, there was two minors that came. He got them strung out and one of them died. But... I, at this point, I was introduced to heroin by a guy that I grew up with, um, and that was my drug of choice at the time. I was still in the life voluntarily at this point because that's the only way I knew to make money. I worked some jobs, but I couldn't stay sober to keep a job. There was no way. And if I got a job, I was stealing all the stuff I was shouldn't have been done <laughs> so I didn't need a job but I was on the streets walking trying to make money I was sick and some guy picked me up and he was like I have a buddy that has what you need I'll take you to introduce you to him and that's what we did and he saw me he was attracted to me and he was like oh are you down to do this this and this and I was like no I'm like no I no." And he's like, when he saw that I said no to that, that's when he knew what approach he had to take with me. Mm. And he's like, okay, well, yeah, I got my best friends, the dope man, da da da. Like, I can get you whatever you need. You can stay in my apartment with me, whatever, until you get back up on your feet. And then we started a relationship. Like, I fell in love with this man. Like, I really thought, like, this was it. Like, it was great. And my drug use got way worse. And then it was, well, babe, we need a little bit of extra money. Like, we need X, Y, and Z around the house. Or to be able to get you your drugs, we need some money. This is the best way to do it. It's the quickest way. 
and I fell for it. And then after that, that's when it turned into forceful abuse into being forced into doing it. It turned physical of him hitting me. It turned into him staying in the apartments when I had John's over until I got them in the room. He would listen at the door. If he felt that I got too into it or anything, then I got beat after that because we were still in a relationship. I mean, you're beat if you don't go, and then you're beat when you do go. Yeah. It didn't really matter. Yeah, and I was in drug court at one point, and I ended up being on the run, and I was online selling myself, and my drug court officer saw my pictures, and he called me, acted like a John, and to get up into my apartment building, and he locked me up. But... This man knows that the only way he caught me was on a website that people are selling themselves on. And he didn't ask any questions. He didn't say anything to the judge. I didn't get any prostitution charges. Wow. And it's like, that's where I feel the judicial system failed me in the beginning. Because I wasn't going to speak for myself. But if that was brought up then I mean I can't say things would have been different but they could have been but he was so worried about I had a $75,000 bond like they make good money off of catching those (laughs) so it's like that was the motive and everything else was ignored he ignored the drugs that I had on the plate on the table in front of me he ignored that I was prostituting myself like And nothing was said. It was swept under the rug. Wow. This is... Yeah. And and it's one of those situations where I'm sure, you know, the mindset is, well, they're in this because they want to be in this. Absolutely. You know, they're they're in this because that's what they want to do. And so they're kind of getting you know, what they deserve yeah. yeah, because that's what they want to do. If they didn't want to do that, they wouldn't be on that website. Right. Yeah. I saw that I was an avid drug user and that's what most girls in that city were doing. Right. You were hooked on drugs, whether it was by choice or not, and you were selling yourself, whether it was your choice or not in the court size, that was your, that was all you. So when, you know, you and Romeo, Y'all had y'all's relationship, and you were you started doing things for for drugs. So you thought, um, how long before you started recruiting others? It was, um, it was a good at least six seven months into it because I was too jealous. In my eyes, I was so brainwashed. He was my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I was doing this to help us. Like that made me a good girlfriend. And he was my boyfriend. There was no, he was my pimp. There was none of that in my eyes. Mm -hmm. And eventually it was, well, you know, if we can get a girl or two more, then you won't have to do all the work. Then you could just sit back and tell them what to do. And, And I wasn't okay with that. I knew the pain that I went through and the stuff that I felt and... I wasn't okay with being the one to introduce another girl into that and potentially ruin her life. 
even though there was young girls that are so eager for the attention of any man that they're, yeah, I'll do that. Like, and they think it's cute. Mm -hmm. And those were the ones that he would try to bring over. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And then it got to a point of now, yes, you are. There wasn't any more questioning. There was no more time to think about it. There was no more conversations. It was, you were doing this, and that's it. So that's, I didn't necessarily go out and find the girls myself. He always, because he always had girls online writing him, all that kind of stuff. So it was, he would bring girls over. I would never talk to a minor if he brought a 17 year old over I didn't even like speaking to 18 year olds because I don't at that age it's still <laughs> like you're still not grown enough to m decide if that's what you want to do because don't get me wrong there's plenty of women in the industry now that are there because that's what they want mm -hmm. that I mean I there's so many times that I've thought since I've turned my life around how easy it would be to go back and how tempting it is only because of how good the money can be. Mm. Wow. It goes from me being in the life after I escaped from him to where I was voluntarily in it after that because at that point I'm so strung out on drugs. I don't know any anything else. That's been embedded in me from a young age. And that's all I knew. And it was the quickest, fastest, easiest way to make the most money. Right. And that it's in itself is addicting. Right. Got it. So you were living with him. Yes. Living with him and getting your drugs as much as you wanted. No. No? Not as much as you want. I, no. Okay. He tried to, that's when, it, <laughs> it got very difficult. He tried to limit me on what, because he would take everything I earned. Of course, he kept all the money on him. He had a day job, so he would leave me in the apartment because I was loyal. That was my boyfriend. Right. <laughs> so he could leave me there. He knew I was going to make whatever money, and I would walk four miles up to his work to give him that money on his lunch break wow. and then I better have more when he gets home and I might get a shot to not be sick. So it got to the point where I would sneak guys in and but then it got to the point he was sneaking home. He was leaving work early. He'd come home and see me and my ma and they're together. Hi. Because at one point we started using together. But, I mean, it just got out of control. He started hitting me in front of my ma. And, I mean, she knew there was nothing she could do about it because I wasn't ready to leave. That was still my man. <laughs> and it didn't matter. Like, he, did, I came up with every excuse for it. Like, I chose this life I because it's easier to accept if I say I did it than to know that someone else, that I even gave someone else the power to make those decisions for me. And yeah. No, you're, you're good. I was going to ask you, how was your relationship with your mom now that you had moved out with this guy, even though when you came back, you know, you came back to mom's house and they cleaned you up and they held you and, it you know, tried to put it back together. It was a very toxic relationship. Me and my mom became close on a level that no mother and daughter should ever, ever, mm. ever. And that was okay with me. 
because that's what I needed in my eyes. That's what I needed was a mom that I could tell anything to that, yeah, I could get high with that, I mean, was my best friend. And that's what we were. And it was a very unhealthy relationship. It didn't matter. She knew what I was going through with him. She came over every day. But the weight was still on me to provide for our dope habit. So really our relationship was just the drugs at that point. It didn't matter. She knew that, I mean, he would hit me in front of her. But that's when I had to separate my mom from the addict. And I knew that I've done things and accepted things in my life as an addict that I never would have in any other circumstance. But that's how I had to look at her, that it was the addict that it's not that she didn't care. I mean, I made my own mistakes. Like, I introduced her to certain drugs that I shouldn't have. But, I mean, our relationship, it's just, we were very close, and I... She was everything to me, but it was a very, very unhealthy relationship. Well, addiction will will do that in any form. Absolutely. Right? And in some ways, it's like you are dependent on him for for drugs, right? Like at the end of the day, just not to be sick. Um, and she was dependent on you. And so it was this vicious cycle, you know, going on that would happen when two addicts, right? Yeah. With your mom having her addiction and then you also having yours, like you're going to feed each other's addiction. You know, I don't, I think in any level in any addiction, that's what happened. So I think that scenario isn't uncommon, whether it's a mom or a daughter or a best friend or a spouse, like, you know, whatever that is, when you have two people who are struggling in the same area of addiction, like that, that toxicity is just going to fuel right. its, feel itself. So, um, did you continue in this relationship with Romeo or did you do something else and then get involved in something else? Eventually I ran into an old boyfriend that I had prior to him and I had done the same stuff with him before and I wanted away from this man so bad that I left him to go into the same situation with an old boyfriend that I had previously done the same things with and that was okay because me and him in my eyes it was okay because we knew each other longer like there was a bond there that I mean we met of course as he was my drug dealer but we formed a relationship in my eyes that was unbreakable even though he lived with another woman and she had kids it didn't matter like we still had a relationship and I was able to get away from him just to go right back into the same thing and this man had beaten me in front of my 89-year-old grandfather before. Like, I have a scar right here from him having a cast on and hitting me. Like, I mean, it things got really bad. And it just got more and more toxic all the way down from my relationship with him to my relationship with my family. And my mom and my drug use was out of control. And I was just stuck in a vicious cycle and a revolving door that, like I said, at that point, I didn't know anything else. Like, sex work was all I knew, and it was good money. So, yeah, I left one abusive man to go be with another one to do the exact same thing. But he didn't make me involve other females. Gotcha. All right. Now, you're here today. 
<laughs> By the grace of God. <laughs> and we are so grateful. And, and you're telling us your story. And you point out that, you know, it was a vicious cycle. You know, going here, there, here, and there. How did you get off or jump off that downward spiral? What, what happened to where you decided, this is not going to be my life for the rest of my life? I didn't make that decision on my own. Okay. Um, I was on probation. I was reporting. And once I got back with my other ex. Um, Which one? The second one that I left the f- my one. Romeo oh. for. Okay. Left Romeo yeah. for another one. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so I was with him and he decided that it was an inconvenience to him for me to keep going to report. So therefore I went on the run. But before I went on the run, when I reported my very last time in person, a man was in my PO's office, and he introduced himself as a human trafficking detective. And um, he works for the attorney general's office, and he had questions to ask me about the man I just left. And apparently they had locked him up. They were building their case against him for trafficking. Um, I answered the questions, and then I went on the run after that. And at this point, I was not any longer doing heroin. I was being shot up with pure fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And I was being shot up in my neck to where I was purely addicted to just fentanyl. And I was doing huge shots in my neck at a time. And it's a wonder I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure is. I was staying with a sugar daddy at the time. I just quit working at a strip club. And apparently Ricky had went and looked for me at the strip club after because he found out I was on the run. And he told me, he's like, when I heard that, he said, I just lost a girl before you. He said, I knew in my mind right then I was not going to lose you. So he came looking for me. He ended up finding me online. And he did the same thing. He called me and acted like a John, but he was very professional. He brought the cops with him and he locked me up and he made promises to me because I was facing 13 years at this time from warrants in different states out of different counties for various reasons. And I knew that when I got caught, my run was over. Um, He was like, I can help you. I can help you. And I'm like, stop. Like, no, you can't. You don't know what my judge said. No, you can't. (laughs) And he locked me up and he's like, I'm not going to leave you in here. And he made me promises that surprisingly he kept he's the first man that has given me his word on something and not lied to me about it he's not ever once told me anything I wanted to hear because it would shut me up or satisfy me he was very brutally honest with me and he stuck by my side and instead of me doing three years or 13 years I served three and a half months and he got me into a program in Texas for women that have been through human trafficking And had that man not locked me up that day, I would not be here. Because when he locked me up and I got upstairs after I got out of booking, I hit the ground, and that's when I completely surrendered. I said, God, like, if you are real, like, I've had my doubts. I've had my beliefs. I've had my doubts. But, like, I'm done at this point. Like, I'm at the end of my road. I, like, I can't do anything else. And I said, if... Everything that I've heard about you is true, and I am worth anything, then I give you full control. And 
that's when Ricky was brought into my life. I was introduced into the program that I went to, and I was able to turn my life around completely. I've been sober for just over two years now. Um, Congratulations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have an amazing relationship with God. Um, I've made mistakes since I graduated, but it was nothing that I can't fix. you know. And now I'm back down in Texas, and I'm starting over again. <laughs> There's a lot of tears in this studio today. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even the person who doesn't have tears. tears today. I wow. mean, just, you know, when we're at the end of our rope, what's so beautiful is even when we're at the very end of our rope, like, God's never done. Yeah. Never, ever. He's not at the end of his rope. He never will be at the end of his rope. And he's the God of restoration and redemption. And he brings people. He uses his people to help rescue his children. And that's what's going through my mind as, like, the tears is, like, his name is Ricky, right? Yes. You know, and the Lord used him to help rescue you. Absolutely. You know, and to show you for the first time what a trusting relationship could be like and somebody you could actually trust because your past shatters any trust with any person whatsoever. And, and especially for it to be a man that could reinstill yes. that kind of trust in me. He's like yes. a father to me, and it's like so I still have communication with him to this day. Like I look to him for advice. Like I, he's very much still involved in my life and pro me. Like <laughs> so, so amazing. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, Thank you, Ricky, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, he is <laughs> for sure. So, as a victim of trafficking, a survivor. Survivor, I'm sorry. Yeah, survivor. That's Come on, right. Paula. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> gonna give her, Paula a hard time yeah, today. I know. I'm yeah, sorry. I, know, right? <laughs> I, I, just, know, I felt s- bad after I said no, it. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Instant regret. <laughs> I'm okay. I can be corrected. Um, as a survivor of trafficking, sometimes when you come out, you still have signs or brands. Yes. Because traffickers or pimps like to brand their girls, right? Yes. And it's usually, what What are some branding things that they... Some use burning, um, like actual brands. Um, other ones do tattoos, whether it's professionally or homemade. Um, I've seen females that have the man's name literally carved in their back. And, I mean, it can be rough. And you're lucky if a brand is all you leave with, really. Um, I had two on this hand, on my right hand, that were given to me by my trafficker. Um, It was a crown because he considered himself a king. And it was a star because that was my working name. That's the name I worked under. And it was... My mom used to call me that as a kid, so it kind of, him using that against me, it kind of just killed it. Mm-hmm. But um, once I came back down here to Texas, I had a woman that's like a mother to me reach out to see if she had any connections to find someone that could do cover-up tattoos. And a woman said, yes, why? And she told her a little bit about what happened, and the woman said, I have a guy that can do it, and I will pay full price for it. And so, wow, yeah, 
it was such an amazing thing to be able to look at my hand and see something that doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't bring up oh, all the bad stuff. Now I can beautiful. actually see something that's beautiful. And <laughs> yeah. So what did you pick? Yeah. It is, and what does it mean? Mm-hmm. It is the all-seeing eye. It's supposed to, like, God in my eyes. And a lot for me is that, like, I, as an addict, in my addiction, I've done horrible things. And I've done things that I don't feel are unforgivable, but they are very harsh things. And it's stuff that I would have never done had I been in the right relationship with God, had I been in the right state of mind, all of that. So it's also, like, kind of just a very blunt reminder like god is in everything i do that he's still he sees everything so what i do i need to do in accordance with him and what follows and honors him more than anything else and that hopefully me getting this tattoo of an eye over my brands means that i can tell my story more and open more people's eyes to what is going on around the world that's what i was sitting here thinking is that you're sitting here opening people's eyes to the truth of what human trafficking is and what addiction looks like, but also to the grace of God and how he does restore us and he does redeem us and the truth of the gospel. And you get to open eyes to all of those things. So it is just no words for how, how cool, how amazing and how beautiful that tattoo is. Right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So we thank you, Chelsea, so much for taking out time and just helping us, helping the listeners, um, putting a voice to what a survivor looks like, what a survivor goes through. Thank you for being bold enough and transparent enough to share and to have true raw emotion in it you know to still be connected to your story to be able to tell it and to want to help others so thank you so much for that and uh if you have any emails or questions you can email us at uh, support at reclaim611.org or you can check out our website at www.reclaim611.org for some reason I feel like Carrie wants to say something else I mean I I, I kind of do I, I think one thing that you mentioned that we passed over really quick was that you went to a program here in Texas yes. called Refuge for Women and you went through their program, and we've actually had the executive director here, and we've talked with Refuge for Women. And so I just really wanted to point out that um, you've successfully done a program that, I'm not going to speak for you, but it was good. Like, it was a program that's changed your life. The program absolutely saved and changed my life. I, of course, just like any survivor, I can't speak for anybody else, but I still have... I guess you would say long-term side effects from trauma. Like, I still deal with PTSD really bad. I have anxiety. Like, I have night terrors that scare me out of my sleep. But that program, like, helped me face trauma and build my relationship with God and be able to cope with things in such a healthier way. So, yeah, I still deal with it, but that's because I believe the healing is never fully done. 
And I'm okay if that's all I have to deal with for the rest of my life. <laughs> the fact that I'm on the other side and I'm sober and I have a relationship with God is everything to me. So if there's listeners, whether you are in trauma or you are currently in a situation, like I, I think it's important to know and to hear that these programs can change your life, that they're there for a reason and they've changed your life. And if you're listening and maybe you have an idea of what a program would be um, and maybe it's a negative thing um, that, you know, Chelsea's here to to say that it it could really change your situation and meet people who know exactly what you've gone through. Um, Well, maybe not exactly, but can identify with a type of trauma are not there to judge you and to point you to to a God who is um, capable of restoring all things. So, yeah, thank you, Paula, for reading into my (laughs) (laughs) nonverbal. I did want to make sure we talked about that because that's um, that's an amazing piece of your healing journey. Do you have anything, Chelsea? No, I'm just eternally grateful that you guys allowed me here to share my story. It means a lot to me. Is there, not to put you on the spot, but is there anything for... Anything else you would want to share for anyone who is listening? I don't know. I just, I just say the best thing I could say would probably just be don't be so quick to judge. Mm-hmm. Like ask more questions and don't make so many quick assumptions about people that you see or situations that they're in. Be don't be so quick to judge and like. Ask, I don't know, just ask questions, care enough, because if people ask more questions about anything, there's always a chance that that question might be the one time that person reaches out for help or answers or asks any other questions. Like you, kindness can take you so far into helping people into anything. It's just... Judgment is so harsh for someone that's been through so much trauma already that is trying their best to process it that when you have someone judging you on top of that, it just puts a negative shade on things, and it's very harsh. So just be kind. Mm-hmm. That was a perfect way to end. Yeah. So true. Ask more questions. <laughs> be less judgmental. Yes. Uh, be kind. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys, and until next time, don't forget to step into the fight. That's right. Bye-bye. Bye.